Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. What happens when a missionary and a pastor walk into a biker bar? We'll talk about that and more in this week's episode of the Engaging Missions Show. This is episode 156 with Jim Buckman of iPrayU.org and the iPray app. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. All right, let's get started. I am really excited today to have with us Jim Buckman. He's an amazing guest with a wide breadth of experience, everything from writing the book I Pray and developing the app I Pray You, which we'll link to in the show notes, to being an Air Force chaplain in New Jersey, the actually the 2015 chaplain of the year. He's a husband and a father, and he's also a North American missionary with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. So with that, Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. It's really great to be here with you and your audience. Oh, thank you. You know, as I was doing that interview, one thing I forgot to mention was you're also a family man. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your family? Oh, not at all. My wife, Kathy, and I will be married 23 years in December, and we've been blessed to have five children. They range in ages from 20 to 12. Jacob is 20. Jim's 19. Sarah's 17. John will turn 15 at the end of December, December 31st, and Grace will turn 13 September 1st. And they are all very godly children, and they just really are a treasure and a gift from the Lord. And uh, Kathy and I, my wife Kathy and I, we're just so thankful for them. And we've been privileged to homeschool our children. I say we, that's French for my wife, Kathy. (laughs) And our two oldest are going to a community college for their first two years. And so that's really nice because we get to have them at home with us a little bit more before they go to four-year schools. So they all love serving the Lord. And they also all have interests in their own pursuits in life. A couple of them, several of them are interested in business. Uh, The first First for our grace, our youngest is uh, interested in becoming a nurse right now. So, and we have a dog, Kisses. She's a golden retriever. She's uh, sitting on the other side of my desk right now. And a cat, Calico Cat River. And we have two two rabbits. Our girls participate in 4-H. Wow, that's great. So I guess before we get too far into this, a lot of our listeners may, may like me, not know what a synod is. Can you share with us a little bit about that? I know that you answered that for me, but for our guests, or for our listeners, rather, what's a synod? Absolutely. I uh, get the question all the time. So synod comes from two Greek words, and the first is sun, which is with, 
and Hados, which is road. And so it's the road traveled together. And so our, we're called a synod because we're a affiliation of congregations and uh, members who uh, have chosen to travel this road of, of faith and of life together. And so we have sort of a interesting ecclesiastical arrangement is sort of between the Catholic church and say the Baptist, where our ecclesiastical structure is sort of halfway in the middle. We have a high doctrine of the call, but at the same time, our central headquarters does not own all church property. The property is all owned by the local congregation. The local congregation pays the salary of the church worker and calls, interviews and calls a church worker. At the same time, local congregations for us, a local congregation cannot directly ordain a person into the pastoral office. So it's kind of kind of in the middle there. And it comes out of these two Greek or two Latin words, sun hados, so synod. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. Now, as, as we get into this, I guess, you know, there's one question that's really kind of burning my mind. And I'm thinking about this. You're a, a husband and a father. You've written a book. You've developed an app. You're a chaplain with the Air National Guard and you're a missionary. How do you do it all? <laughs> well, by God's grace, it's not a boring life. <laughs> And it's it's just it's just a real pleasure to to serve. And I guess that's probably, you know, what gives me the energy and the desire is just seeing God's work and having that opportunity to share the gospel with people, to encourage, to equip. Those are just real passions for me to learn, you know, the passions that God has put on the hearts of other church workers, of congregations, to try and help them achieve where they feel God is leading them. You know, it's being a chaplain, it's just a privilege to serve those who defend us. And I enlisted active duty army myself when I was 18 and was enlisted for about 10 years before becoming a chaplain and spent five of those years in army special operations. And I was in 12th group and the transition to becoming a chaplain was something I had been looking forward to and have really enjoyed doing ever since then. And it's just a privilege to, to help those who wear the uniform of our nation and their loved ones with whatever things that they need help with. So I'm thinking about all of this, and we talked a little bit about how you get it all done, basically, with God's grace. Can you think of a time when you were, when you were facing a significant challenge and maybe share with us a little bit about what happened and then how God got you through that? Uh, sure. So on a personal level, my wife and I were pregnant with our fifth child, Grace. And we went in for our checkup. And when they ran the test, the doctor came in and he said that it has a problem. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, it has a growth on the side of its head and it has problems with the heartbeat. It has a placenta that's falling apart mm. and it has chromosome problems. So, you know, he named four different things there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then he just very sort of matter of factly said, you know, you have options, which was his way of saying, you know, you can get an abortion. Right. And so as he was saying those things, I just immediately just began rejecting everything that he was saying in my spirit and was praying against it and just praying for our child. And so, you know, we thanked him and, and left 
And so then Kathy and I started praying, of course, and asked other people to pray. I was in a postgraduate program at the time, uh, and I asked the pastors in that program to, to pray. And so they did, and other churches prayed. And, of course, we asked our church to pray. And so Kathy and I, you know, our prayer was basically for God to heal our child. But then if we were to have a child with special needs, that God would make us to be the kind of parents that this child would need. Mm-hmm. And so we just had, uh, you know, that peace that surpasses human understanding because it wasn't from a human. It wasn't from a medical test or equipment or medicine or, and those are all well and good, but our peace didn't come from any of that. Mm-hmm. Our peace came, came from God. And so we went back for our next checkup and Kathy had her next checkup and the same doctor came back in and, you know, he was probably in his fifties. So he was not, you know, new to this. He had, he'd been doing this for quite a while. And I'll never forget, he, he came back in and, and he said, he said, it's a miracle. <laughs> and, and I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, it's all gone. It's, it's a miracle. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, it's all gone. The, uh, her, her head is fine. The growth is gone. The placenta is fine. The heartbeat's fine. The chromosomes are gone. The problem with that's gone. He said, it's all gone. He said, it's, it's a miracle. And we said, well, praise God, you know, and we gave God the glory and we told him how we've been praying and how we'd asked everybody else to pray. And, and we shared all that with him. And so then when Grace was going to be born, I asked him to, you know, to check her thoroughly, to check, you know, all her fingers, all her toes, to just to check everything, mm-hmm. to give her extra, an extra close look. And he was there when, when Grace was born. And, you know, nowadays, you know, we get to dads, we get to be there in the delivery. Yeah. And so it was really something watching him because when Grace came into the world, you know, he was holding her and, and looking at her. I mean, kind of like, you know, how a fisherman looks at a big bass or something. I mean, it was, <laughs> he, he had this, this uh, just look of amazement, you know, on his face. And I mean, and he was looking her over, I mean, from stem to stern and, and she's perfect. She is uh, perfect in, in every way. And I'm not saying she never sits, but I mean, her right. you know, physically and, and thank God she's a child of God and she's, you know, physically perfect. And so, you know, we praise God for this. Uh, that's great. As you think about your life and your ministry, do you have any personal habits that you believe contribute to what God's been able to do? Well, sh- sure. You know, I think that being in God's word personally, you know, daily is very important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have a personal habit of, of reading through the Bible just on a continuous basis. And I think it's good if you can have chunks of time when you do it, you know, half an hour, an hour or something like that. And uh, because then you can, you can get, I think you just get a better picture of what God's trying to tell us than just reading a verse here or a verse there. And not that that's not helpful also, but I think, you know, to have that time for that and then, and then to be in the word and to be in prayer, uh, you know, it's Acts chapter six, verse four, you know, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so I think you just, you have to have your own personal time uh, with God, you know, in his word and in prayer with him. And that just, that has to be there for, for your, for your marriage, for your ministry, you know, your relationships with other people. I just think that's really important. Wow, that's good. And I'm glad that you mentioned scripture. As I'm thinking about your life and your ministry, do you have maybe a key scripture that's been foundational to how you approach life and ministry? 
Gosh, I mean, there are so many verses that, you know, come to mind. I mean, you know, a personal favorite is, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm. But um, I think, you know, ministry, I mean, well, with my focus on prayer, you know, Isaiah 56, verse 7 is just really key. You know, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. And uh, Luther, in his commentary on Isaiah, said that he felt that this was God's plan to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Because remember, God promised Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And so, you know, biologically, that's impossible Mm -hmm. because nations refers to ethnos, you know, the ethnic groups of people. And so, you know, that God's plan for fulfillment was through the temple, that because God said, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. And uh, I would agree with that. Uh, but I, and so, and so it's interesting because when Jesus cleanses the temple, what's his scriptural basis for cleansing the temple? It's Isaiah 56, verse seven. You know, a lot of times we get focused on him getting mad and calling it a den of thieves and overturning the carts and making the whip and all of that, uh, which is all certainly there. But what's the scriptural justification? The scriptural justification is Isaiah 56, verse 7. And why is that important? Because when Jesus cleanses the temple, you know, where is where is he standing? He's standing in the outer courtyard. Why is that significant? Because the outer courtyard is the only place in the temple that the nations could come to worship. And the religious leaders had turned it into a barnyard and a butcher house. I mean, it'd be like, you know, if you went to your church and in your sanctuary, you found, you know, 100 cows roaming around in there, you know, doing what cows do and then being butchered in the mess that that creates. You know, how long would you stick around for that worship service? You yeah, know, you, you wouldn't. And so when Jesus calls it a den of thieves, you know, you can sin by commission and you can sin by omission. You know, so to sin by commission is to actively, you know, to take something, to do something against somebody. To sin by omission is so like, you know, Brian, if I'm supposed to give you a book and I don't, I keep it for myself, that'd be sinning by omission. And so what he's saying to the religious leaders is he's accusing them of being thieves, not through commission. And that's where some people get it wrong in their analysis of the text is, you know, because they'll say, well, they had crooked scales or biting the corners off the coins or selling diseased animals, all those things. Those would be acts of commission. Mm. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about omission because they were keeping from the nations what God had wanted to give to the nations through his nation of priests. You know, that's what it said in Exodus, that you'll be for me a nation of priests. And they had not fulfilled that. And that's why, like, for example, you know, Jeremiah 31, 31, you know, God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'm going to establish a new covenant. And, and so that is, that's part of the new covenant being ushered in. And of course, you know, the, the, the markings of the old covenant are the temple, the priesthood and the sacrifices. And all of those are gone. And so, you know, the deal that God has on the table with the world is the new covenant through his son, Jesus. Wow, that's good. With that, we're going to need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the ministry. Okay. (laughs) Over the next few weeks, we're going to be trying something new, and it involves you. I'd like to add a little variety to the show by featuring you as one of the engaging announcers. All that you'd need to do is record a simple script for the show introduction and summary, and then email that back to me as an attachment. I'd handle all of the post-production, get everything ready to go in the show, and then if you're interested, we could also add your name and a link into the credits in the show notes page. 
We're going to be starting this off with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. He's been a friend of the show for a while, and he's he's agreed to be the person to help us kick this off. But I really want to get you involved in this, get you in the rotation as quickly as possible. If you're interested, simply subscribe to the email newsletter at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe, and then hit reply when that first email comes. Just let me know that you're interested in being one of the engaging announcers. Or if you're already subscribed to the show, just hit reply and let me know that you're interested. We'll take everything from there. I think this is something that can really add some depth to the show. And it's one of the ways that I'd like to honor you as one of the people who's connected to the Engaging Missions show. All right, we're back with Jim Buckman. We've just heard a lot of stuff, especially I appreciated his heart on on prayer and on the nations and some of that stuff. Now, Jim, as we get into this section, we're going to focus a little bit more on what you're doing rather than who you are. And I guess one question I have is you've developed this app, I Pray, or I Pray You, rather. What led you to do that? Why, why did you do that? Thank you, Brian. It, well, it comes out of uh, my passion for prayer. You know, as we're talking about sharing about prayer, I just I believe that prayer is a gift and a blessing that God has given to the Christian and to the church for ministry and service within the church, but then also as a way to connect with and to serve the community. I always like to encourage people just to remember this one simple question, which is, how can I pray for you? I just, I believe that that is a Christian question to ask. So this is not some sort of man-made program or man-made idea. You know, God said, my house will be a house of prayer. And where is God's house found today? Well, the, the Christian is the temple of the living Lord. And so, so you are, are God's house of prayer. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so his desire is still for his house to be a house of prayer. And so, so you and I, Brian, and, and all other Christians, we are to be people of prayer were to pray without ceasing and the prayers would not just be for us and for our loved ones it's to be for all the nations and so how will we know how to pray for all the nations other than to ask them mm. you know so how how can i pray for you is a question that that we as christians should be very very comfortable and grow in our comfort in asking people and what I found is that when we ask people that question, then we know how to serve them. And I think that's really important because I think for the church in America today, the attractional model is is not has not really produced the results that many would have liked it to have done. And I'm not saying you shouldn't use the attractional model at all, but when we ask people how we can pray for them, then, uh, and they share that with us, then we have become an expert on one person, on one household. And that's really what the local church needs is to be experts on individuals and individual households and, and, and to have connections with individuals and households who want their ministry. And so, so the basic idea is learn how to pray for people and then turn prayer into care. And and when we do that, we're not using a program that you buy off the shelf. You know, a lot of times church ministry happens that way. You know, <laughs> you know, church workers will go to a conference and they'll see ABC Church doing X, Y, Z. 
and uh, they say, you know, there's maybe a little envy there or whatever it is, you know, and they look and they say, you know, we could do that in our church. And so then you come back and then the next question becomes, how expensive is this program going to be? And how many people is it going to reach? And then how many people are going to join? And are we going to get our money back? And it becomes a business model pretty quickly. And that really burns people out in ministry and turns people off in church. And, and it turns people off to the church. And so with this, you know, prayer costs nothing. And when we take this approach, we're discipling everybody from four years old to 94 years old or 104 years old, you know, um, because prayer is something that every Christian can do and every Christian can participate in. So what I focus on and still focus on as a missionary, you know, working with churches, helping them to do their outreach was to help them develop prayer for members, for visitors, and for their community. And so then in doing that, then I wrote the book, I Pray, and it has over 100 practical uh, ways that prayer can help a church better serve its members, its visitors, and the community. And it's, it just has real actual examples in churches of, of how they're turning prayer into care and uh, the the process, you know, sort of a, a simplified overview of a process for doing that within a local church. And then ultimately to result, uh, if the Holy Spirit so leads, to result in planting house churches. So I wrote the book, I Pray, to try and capture that and put that into a book. And I, I tell people that for a guy, you know, writing a book is probably as close to childbirth as we're going to come. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a labor of love. I mean, it is, you know, but, and so I'm, I'm glad I've got the thing done. I felt like, you know, I, I really needed to do that. Uh, my mom had been the one really to push me initially to, to, to write a book about what I was doing. And so uh, my mom and dad were missionaries in West Africa in Nigeria. And so, and so, you know, my mom deserves the credit there for getting me going with this thing. And so then the book has been helpful. But then what I found in working with churches and helping them grow in their prayer discipleship was that the, the, the people had a desire to do it. They wanted to do it. But the prayer requests were uh, and the care follow up was not really being coordinated as well as it could. And then that's where God gave me the idea to build an app. Mm. And so, you know, to be quite honest with you, the first thing I did was I, I went into the app store and I looked to see if there's any sort of app like this. And there's not. There's no app like that does what we're talking about right here. There's there's tons of apps. And I'm going to tell you one thing. There's a lot of Muslim apps. Yeah. Uh, I was doing a workshop one time for a large group, uh, several hundred pastors. And afterwards, I had one pastor come up to me and he was really mad. You know, and he said, your app is a Muslim app. And I said, no, it is not. And he said, yes, it is. He said, yes, it is. I said, what are you talking about? He said, right here, look. And and I don't remember what he had typed in, but it was something slightly different. And, you know, and so it pulled up a different app. And I said, well, that's because you didn't put the name of my app into the app store. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if you're hearing Allah Akbar, you probably got the wrong app, you know. So God gave me this idea of, of building this app. And... And then, you know, I looked into, you know, hiring somebody to do this and to hire somebody to build an app is about twenty to thirty thousand dollars for each version for Apple and Android. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I'm a network supported missionary, so I really didn't have those kind of funds laying around. And so I thought, well, I'll do a fundraiser and try and collect those funds. But then as I started looking into it, I wasn't quite sure what all this app should do. So I just started, you know, taking notes and taking notes. And then in 2014, I was deployed for seven months to the Middle East. I was the wing chaplain for our largest base in the Middle East. And and while I was out there, I was uh, we had a very busy base chapel. We ran 50 worship services and Bible studies every single week. Mm. And, uh, and then we also provided worship services and religious coverage for State Department annexes, uh, embassies in the region. Uh, the State Department doesn't have its own chaplains, so they'll call on the military oftentimes to fulfill that need. And so we did. So we had chaplain teams flying in civilian clothes on local civilian planes with no force protection into the different sites. And we did this every single week, in addition to obviously serving our troops who were in different parts of the world there. And so it was busy. And so while I was on deployment, we had uh, used technology in some interesting ways to serve our people. So I, I use this one product called Ustream mm-hmm. and put up a site on it called Worship with Warriors and had over 600 subscribers to it. And so wherever I would do Bible study with the troops, wherever they had Wi-Fi, they could let their loved ones know and they could log in and then they could watch the Bible study, listen to the Bible study, and then text in their questions or prayers. And so it was really cool because um uh, I remember one time I was doing a Bible study. I, I had one of my Bible studies was like on Tuesday mornings at two o'clock in the morning or something like that because you know we ran twenty four seven operations and so you have to provide Bible studies for people when when they need it. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a two a.m. Bible study and I had this one airman, active duty airman. He's married and uh, active duty wife, and so he's deployed to the Middle East. She's deployed to East Africa. Okay, that's that's the op tempo that our troops are under right now. So he's deployed to the Middle East. She's deployed to East Africa. Her dad's a Baptist pastor back in Florida or Georgia. And uh, and so they're logging in with Worship with Warriors into our Bible study there in the Middle East. And so it's really cool. We had an extended family there on three different continents (laughs) in Bible study and prayer together. And so got to use technology in some different ways, did wedding vow renewals on deployment. That was pretty cool. Uh, got a lot of requests for that. You know, I put the order of service together and email it to the spouse back home. And then basically the same thing, you know, you can use FaceTime or Skype or mm-hmm. you know, any of these different applications and did wedding vow, vow renewals while they're on deployment. Um, did marriage counseling in real time with loved ones back home, also using the same sort of thing. So, you know, it was just a great, you know, I, I believe that, you know, God gives us experiences to help us prepare us for the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, through that, I just really became, you know, even just more convinced I needed that the time was now to get going with this app. So I came back and then I just started doing some research on what it takes to put an app together. And by God's grace, I was able to to build this app. Um, I pray you. And, um, and so, and my wife deserves the credit for the name of the app, you know, trying to figure out what sort of of names, a lot of the names were already taken. And then my wife said, well, the name of your book is I Pray. Why don't you call the app I Pray You? And so it's just, it's you with the letter U. And 
Yeah, so that's how the app was named. And uh, that's one of the great things about working out of your house is, you know, you can bounce ideas off your spouse, off your your, your family. Uh, our oldest daughter, Sarah, loves um, photography. She has a real eye for, you know, color combinations and things like that. So when I'm putting stuff together, uh, you know, I ask her oftentimes, hey, take a look at this. And, you know, what do you think? And she'll say, no, you know, change this, change that or whatever. And so I will. And nice. uh, so, yeah, so it's that's just kind of cool. So that's how the app got built, and it's available on Apple and Android. It's I Pray You, and then also it's the app is embedded in a website, IPrayU.org, um, and that's for uh, people who don't use smartphones. Um, or like myself, when I'm at home, I'd much rather look at a big screen mm-hmm. than a small screen on a phone. So whenever I'm at a desk, you know, I'll get my laptop out or get the computer turned on to the bigger, bigger screen that's hooked up to the laptop, you know, like a, like a 32 inch screen to look at, you know, as you get older, you, you appreciate bigger screens, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so, um, it's a, it's a free app. There are now 260 churches that are using it. And uh, the app is just real simple. It's a way for people to put prayer requests into their church's prayer database. And you, they can put the prayer requests in for members, for visitors, for people in the community. And when they enter the prayer request in, then the pastor and the prayer coordinator are automatically sent an email that says um, this prayer request was received and has the information that was provided uh, in it. And then uh, the prayer database is automatically updated. So, of course, that's 24-7. And then the prayer ministry team, uh, prayer partners within the church can log in and see the prayer requests for their their other members, for visitors, for people in the community. And the discipleship piece of it is that then the prayer partners within the church's prayer ministry team can decide if they would like to be a care partner, they can choose their name on the drop-down menu or their ministries team on the drop-down menu and and sign up to be a prayer care partner for the prayer request. Hmm. And then when they do that, then they can enter in their care notes into their prayer app. And so then... It's not just, you know, like an email blast or a phone tree, which those are fine. Those are those there's good things that can happen with that. And so it's not just about pushing information out, you know, or pushing it out more often. It's about uh, a couple of things. It's about having a focal point for all prayer requests. So right now in a typical local church, you know, you collect your prayer requests on Sunday morning. You collect your prayer requests in all the Sunday school classrooms. You collect your prayer requests at the small groups in between. You probably have a prayer request button on your website. You know, there's a dozen different ways. You have this activity or that activity. You collect prayer requests at it. And then what happens? Well, you generate a lot of paper and how much interactivity, you know, how much uh, interaction with the members into the ministry of prayer is there not a lot quite honestly not a lot a very small percentage of the local church is actively engaged in the prayer ministry of their church let alone providing care for those prayer requests i mean it's it's a frightening frighteningly small percentage and yet we're supposed to be a house of prayer and i'll just point out real quick you know the the image of prayer in the old testament that's used is the burning of incense 
you know, as incense rises, you know, so let my prayers rise. And if you've ever been around burning incense, <laughs> it's an experience you're not going to forget real soon. You know, I mean, it is a smell that when you walk into that house or that into that place, I mean, you smell it wherever you are. You know, it's not just like in one corner or whatever. I mean, it saturates. And that's really how prayer is. It's supposed to saturate, you know, our lives and our local churches, local assemblies of Christians, which is the church. And those are, you know, some of the challenges with how prayer is done in the local church right now. And so what the app uh, does is it, it provides a focal point. So all the prayer requests come in to a shared uh, database. It's a database driven system that comes into a shared database where then everybody can see it. Everybody can uh, participate, you know, within the local church if they want to. And then there's also an option for confidential prayer requests. So if they want just the pastor to know, they can put in a confidential prayer request that only goes to the pastor. But for the prayer requests that they want the whole church praying for, they just, uh, they, they put that in. And then, and so then uh, everybody can do that and you can use your app um, so like if you have a website that has a prayer request button on it, you can take the URL for your uh, prayer database for your app and put it on the backside of your website. So when the prayer request button is clicked, then it feeds them right into your app so that then they are putting their prayer requests right into your shared database within your church for your church to follow up with. So the prayer app is really about empowering the local congregation, discipling the members to ask people how we can pray for them to get involved in turning prayer into care. And they can do it for members, for visitors, for the community. So I was doing a workshop out in Kansas and, uh, as a Saturday workshop, I was going to stay, stay and then preach for them, uh, Sunday Sunday morning, they had three, three Sunday morning services. So did the workshop for them Saturday, helped them get set up with their prayer app and got the leadership and all, everybody set up and everything, did some strategizing with them. And then at lunch, the, uh, it's time for, you know, we were done. So the pastor said, I'm going to take you out to lunch. I said, that's great. And we got in his truck and, uh, is the associate pastor there, Dennis Coates. And he says, uh, he says, well, Jim, I'm going to take you to this biker bar. Hmm. And grill. <laughs> and I said, okay. So, so, you know, I mean, I love to eat, you know, I grew up in, in West Africa. I've eaten just about everything in the world, you know, so whatever, I, you know, so off we go to the biker bar and grill and we go in there and we're both wearing our clerical collars. Okay. So this is like something out of a movie, you know, you got two guys in clerical collars walking into a biker bar, you know? And so, so here we go and we sit down and uh, get our burgers and our sodas, you know, we're just sitting there and this big old biker, I mean, you know, do they come in any other size, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this big old biker comes walking up to me and, uh, he's got this little trifold brochure with him. And, um, and, uh, he, he introduces himself and then, and I introduced myself and he says, you know, have you ever heard of Baca? And I said, yes, I said, but you know, can you refresh my memory? And he says, well, it stands uh, for bikers against child abuse. And I said, oh yeah, yep. That's, that really does some good work. And he says, well, we've been working for two years to get a chapter started here and we just got started. I'm the chapter president and here's some information on it. And I said, oh, I said, well, wonderful. I said, thanks, you know, for all you're doing to help children and their families. That's really a wonderful thing that you're doing. And so I said, I'm here to help this local church with their prayer ministry. 
And I said, by God's grace, I built an app that helps churches do that. And, uh, and so I asked the man, I said, uh, do you have a smartphone? And he said, yes. I said, well, get it out. So he, he reached in his pocket, got his smartphone out. And, um, and, and so I told him the name of the app. He went right to, I told him, I pray you. He went right to the app store, downloaded it. And then I showed him how anybody can put a prayer request in. And that's one of the features of the app is that you don't have to be a member of a church using the app. Anybody can download the app and anybody can put prayer requests in. And we've had people connect with churches through that process alone. So who just independently went and downloaded the app and did that. So anyhow, I was showing this biker uh, how to do this. So I said, these uh, families that you're serving, these children that you're serving, any of them that you would like a local church to pray for and help you care for, all you have to do is put the prayer request in with this free app and this church will do that. And I said, this man right here is the pastor, one of the pastors here at this church, and he will make sure that the church follows up with it. And his eyes just got really big. He said, wow. He said, this is really cool. We're going to use this. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, right. And so then you have a biker group as prayer partners with a local church. <laughs> you know, and that's where, you know, Scripture says the Apostle Paul looked for the places of prayer and looked for people of prayer, you know, in his missionary journeys. And I think that's something you know, in the church, we really have to get outside the walls of the, of, of the church in our own way of thinking and understand that there are people of prayer within our communities who are not necessarily members of our church or even our particular church body, but they are they are people of prayer. And, and so what I always encourage people to do is when you're interacting with people, you know, ask them how you can pray for them and then also invite them to download the app because they can put prayer requests in for themselves, for their loved ones, for people they know, into your church's prayer database. And then you can pray for them and you can follow up with them and they can help you connect with the needs in, in your community. Wow, that's, that's powerful. You've, you've shared a lot and frankly, my head's spinning a little bit just <laughs> trying, to, trying to absorb it all. I can't imagine just the reality of you know, trying to take several years of life and to then trim it down to a couple of minutes to share. As we're getting close to the end of the interview, I'm wondering, you know, obviously we're going to link to the app and to the book and to your website. I, I definitely want people to connect with this. I think it's really valuable. I've got maybe one other question just to talk a little bit more about about your ministry, and then we'll kind of bring it to a close shortly after that. And I guess the other thing that I'm kind of thinking about is you're you're a Lutheran missionary, but your heart is in planting house churches. That doesn't that doesn't seem normal. So could you share a little bit more about kind of how God led you toward that? Absolutely. So coming out of the seminary, I was a church planter uh, in the more traditional sense of it. Hmm. And so my first call was to a mission start uh, in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, I was actually the second pastor there. And um, we had a strong focus on small groups. You know, this was I graduated from the SEM in 96. And so that's when small groups were really, you know, kind of in vogue. Um, and you had the, the whole cell model thing and you had your chairs, you had the X and the XA in the future. You know, <laughs> yep. that. And I'm one of those OCD guys that would read these books and be like, OK, that's what we're going to do. You know, a bunch of sinners start doing this, you know, and man, did I have a lot to learn. And so, you know, I mean, those those 
those theories are great and everything, but you got to just take them for what they are. And there's a lot lacking there. Small groups are, are do a lot of great things. I mean, I think they're 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 helpful for you know. I think at that time, small groups are focused really on assimilating people who are already coming to public worship. And then usually you had a focus on spiritual gifts where you know. You know, you try and help people discover their spiritual gifts and then, you know, figure out how they can use them and stuff. And so that it's, you know, there's good things that can come out of that. But then with my second call as a church planter down to Springfield, Missouri, uh, definitely want small groups to be a part of this. But, you know, for us, the sacraments are really important. So communion is really important. And so wanted to have the, the marks of the church there uh, in this. And so it's not just a small group, it's a house church. And so uh, for us, we have communion uh, in the house church. And, and so then uh, the pastor becomes somebody who is intentionally trying to raise up leaders, future leaders who may even get ordained at some point and, and then start worshiping communities in outlying areas. And so then in 2009, uh, January 1st, 2009, I was, I began my call working as a missionary and was moved out here, moved out here to New Jersey. So I work with the New Jersey district within our church body. I'm called through the, through that organization, but I'm a network supported missionary. So it's the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the network of Christians and churches who support what I do. Yeah. Okay. And so that's why I work with churches anywhere. And, and so as a missionary, then what I have really focused on is prayer, which we've talked about and then planting. And I use the house church model. So just a quick example of that. Um, right now I'm working to, with a planting a house church in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey is an area where we had a traditional one of our churches close a couple of years ago. And, but now by God's grace, I'm working with a group of Angolan immigrants and yep and so uh on a typical sunday they will have 30 to 40 in worship and mother's day they had about double almost triple that and uh the man who i'm working with is the house church planter is uh, miguel sampaio and he is the protocol officer for the angolan mission at the united nations wow yeah, the man, the man is uh, smarter than I am. He speaks four languages fluently. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's, it's just a real gem of a guy to work with. And uh, his wife is in uh, the medical field. And so uh, they've been in this country for about 15 years. And just, you know, they just love the Lord. They want to share God's grace, good news of salvation through Christ with other people. And uh, so I work with them. I go down to uh, Elizabeth and I work with uh, 12 Angolan house church planter leaders uh, every other Tuesday. And so as a missionary, I get involved personally because I, I, I just that's my part of my heart is to be personally involved in planting. And so I'm, that's one that I'm personally involved with. And um, the challenge that I put before our house church planters is that if you will plant, you know, by God's grace, you know, uh, by God's grace, if you will plant two house churches, uh, we will help you to get enrolled at the seminary. Uh, we have a non-residential route toward nation now, mm. which I'm so thankful for. And, and we'll help you get enrolled and we'll help raise the money for uh, your classes. Then by God's grace, you'll, you know, you'll be certified and you'll get ordained. And um, then you'll be the pastor for these house churches. And then the goal is not just that you pastor two house churches, but then you start planting more. Mm-hmm. 
And for guys like Miguel, you know, he's got a great job. He's the protocol officer for his mission uh, and goal and mission of the United Nations. So, you know, for him, it's not about employment. It's it's really about a love of the Lord and wanting to share the gospel with other people. And so that makes it in some ways a lot easier to place him into ministry following uh, ordination. And not to mention that it's <clears throat> the, he's contextually relevant, you know, yeah, we're not trying to train a white guy from Iowa how to be Angolan right. in Elizabeth, New Jersey. <laughs> you know, no, we're you know. So part of the house church model is raising up leaders from within the community uh, who you vet and who you train and who you disciple. And I think for our church body, that's an area of growth that we need more of, which is understanding the difference between education and discipleship. And there's a difference between education and discipleship. And I think the discipleship needs to happen at the front end of the pastoral formation process. And so for me, I think the house church planting model is a good way to have hands-on discipleship of future pastoral candidates. Wow, that, that's really good. We're just about out of time. And as I'm thinking about tying a bow on this, could you maybe share with us one last piece of advice and a really good way for people to connect with you? Uh, sure. If you would like to, you can go to our website, iprayu.org, and sign up for the newsletter. They can email me also. I'll be happy to share my email address with you. It's uh, J Buckman, B U C K M A N, uh, 007 at com. And uh, so you can email me if you'd like, uh, sign up for the, the newsletter. And um, if you would like to use the app for your ministry, please uh, download it. And if you have any questions uh, with getting that set up, I would be very happy to uh, help, you know, assist you with getting your church set up with it. And would love to hear uh, your story about how God is moving and leading uh, in your ministry and try to help you strategize with ways that uh, you can help prayer, use prayer to better serve your members, your visitors and the community. That, that's great, Jim. I, I, I just want to say personally, thank you so much. I really can't wait to see what God does with the work that you've done with the app and also what he does with the house church, the work that you've been doing there. This is, this is something I'm planning to bring to our pastors as well and go, Hey, is this something that we're interested in, in investing ourselves in? Cause I, I really appreciate what you've done and I think it's really valuable. So thanks for being with us today. Brian, thank you. And I pray God's richest blessings on you, on your family, uh, on your ministry. And I just thank you for this chance to be with you and with your audience. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. So we moved out of the traditional church because of the problems and issues that we were having there. And we started a house church because the people in the church who we thought we were working with had had told us that their heart wasn't to reach the community for God. And we really we really didn't know what we were doing when we started our little house house church, but I came across um, a, a website, um, which is the, the Luke 10 website. A friend of mine had put something on Facebook and I wasn't even going to read it, but um, I, it related to to something that was going on in one of my friends' lives. I thought, oh, I'll read it. You know, it'll just give me a bit of an idea of what's going on in, in my friend's head. 
So I read it and, and it took me to this um, Luke 10 website. And these guys help equip house church leaders all around the world. And I was just reading their website and reading their information and it just got me so excited. I thought, oh, my goodness, like I think that this is the key to, to reaching people in Thailand. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Thanks to Jim Buckman for being with us and also to you for joining us. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Jim Buckman. And you're going to want to check those out. It's a great place to connect with our guests and also to take action on what you've heard. Make sure you come back next week when we'll be hearing from Jen Hamilton about what God is doing with an Aussie in South Asia. And if you want to make sure you don't miss that episode, the best way to do that is to subscribe using your favorite podcast app at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this show or you know somebody who would benefit from it, please help us spread the word. Your recommendation can help people connect with the resources they need to be inspired, challenged, and equipped. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.